take a seat, everyone. I'm going to read our scripture for us. Please open up to Ephesians chapter 6. You're all going to beat me to it, but I'm doing it one-handed, so I still win. All right. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. For this, or with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Thanks, mate. Evening, everyone. Welcome back to Warren and Muggie after being away overseas, overseas, over the country. And they were in WA, where Josh and Rochelle are now, visiting their daughter, son-in-law, and their new little granddaughter, whose name is Evelyn Lee. Is that correct? I can't see where you're sitting. I don't know where you are. And we also have, there you are, down the back. Ah, down in the grandparents section, I see, yep. Um, Now, I haven't mentioned this publicly, I don't think, but Katie's here tonight, or she was. Oh, Katie's in the loo. Hi, Katie in the loo. Um, And she's here tonight with little baby Harper Marie. And then, I don't know if we've said this publicly or not, but Sam and Liana have had their little boy, whose name is Luca James. And Elaine Hicks, with Josh Hicks, who go to the 1030 service, they also this week had a little girl. Where's Joe? Whose name is... Huh? You've forgotten too. Um, no. Something means fully devoted to God anyway. Joe will look it up and she'll tell me as soon as she... Huh? Kaylin, that's it? What's the middle name? Isabel. That's it. Kaylin Isabel. So congratulations to all of those guys. It's wonderful being a grandparent. <coughs> Pete's here tonight. And uh, he was visiting his grandchildren today. Uh, and my little granddaughter, Marnie. It's always a segue to me, isn't it? Um, <laughs> We had a photo of her sent to us yesterday, this weekend anyway. She's now just started walking. 
and uh, apparently she comes inside and there's a photo of her with all of her hair matted and plastered over her face. It's all sweaty because she'd been doing laps in the backyard, just running around, walking and walking and walking. She's hardly crawling anymore. So with all of that wonderful news, let's just close in prayer. Tonight we're going to be looking at following Jesus as his disciple and focusing upon one aspect of truth, well one aspect of that which is about spiritual warfare, about the spiritual battle that we are engaged in. So we're going to look at some of the issues associated with that. I'm going to pray. Pray with me please. <clears throat> Thank you Lord that you are a God who watches over us, that you provide for us and you bless us. We thank you for these new little lives born into this world. Give the parents great wisdom, patience, but also great joy as these kids grow and develop, physically, mentally, emotionally, and in all those ways. And then, Lord, for them and for us, help them to grow spiritually, that we might become more like the Lord Jesus. Help us to understand the truths we have before us tonight, that we might be not just reminded, but that we might also be equipped and challenged to follow Jesus more closely. We pray and ask in his name. And everybody said, Amen. The text I'm going to really bounce off tonight is, um, I'll get to the Ephesians 6 reading uh, in a moment, <clears throat> about halfway through. But the verse that I want us to remember, and I don't know if I've put it in there. Nope, I don't think I did. Well, that's the outline of it. James chapter 4, verse 7 where James says, submit yourselves therefore or then to God. Submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's wonderful news to know the devil will flee from us, but it's conditional. Submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Peter writes of a very similar thing in very famous verses that you would undoubtedly be familiar with. He says, chapter 5, verse 8 of his first letter, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings and issues the devil is on the prowl he's looking for someone to devour someone to be distracted and knocked off course he is our enemy your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone and some people have once described that Satan is now, because of the cross, now bound. Well, if he is bound, what we need to do, it's on a chain, and some people would say it's a very long chain. What we need to do is not go within Paul's reach of him. And so there are two ways that we can be attacked by the evil one, and that is, with God's permission, everything must happen via the Lord's, via his throne. Um, <clears throat> and the other way is that we, through our ignorance and or sinful disobedience, we drift into reach of him, where he can do damage to us spiritually. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. As disciples of the Lord Jesus, we are called and equipped to be engaged in this spiritual battle. Jesus once sent his early disciples out and they rejoiced. And when they returned, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. They obey us. And Jesus said, well, as good as that is, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky, from the heaven, and <clears throat> don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice rather that you've been made spiritually right with God. That's where our security is, not in any spiritual experiences that we may be 
happening. C.S. Lewis says, famously, there are two equal and opposite errors that we often make about the devil. One is that we give him too much attention. We talk about him far too much, we focus upon him, we become obsessed with him, we blame him for anything and everything that's going on in the world. That's one extreme and it's a mistake. And secondly, we go to the opposite extreme, which is we totally ignore him. We don't take him seriously. We put him almost in the category of myth and we make up funny stories about him and everything else. The balance is in the middle. It's to take him seriously, not to ignore him, but not to attribute everything to him because there are certain limitations upon him. He can only be in one place at one time. He doesn't know everything. He can't read your mind, though he has access to implanting thoughts in your mind. He doesn't know what you're thinking, nor does he know the future. He knows the future like we know the future by reading the scriptures, but he doesn't know, hence why you have false prophets who get things wrong, because he doesn't know exactly what is going to be happening. So we want to learn a little bit tonight and be reminded tonight that as we follow the Lord Jesus, if you've engaged in him, as soon as you've signed up and submitted to the Lord Jesus, then you've entered the arena. You've entered a spiritual battle zone where the enemy satan and his demons are opposed to you and who will do whatever they can to they can't remove your salvation but they can make you weak and ineffective and that's what they intend to do so we need to know we need to know a little bit about this warfare of what goes on we need to educate ourselves a little bit about satan through the scriptures through that but also through learning and praying and observing what goes on um, and just as this room is filled with images and voices of beings that we are not tuned into and i'm of course talking about television and radio waves it fills this room but if we had the instrument or the device then we could tune into the radio station or your tv could tune in you could be watching the images it's permeating this whole world in which we live but god hasn't wired us with those senses we can't pick that up well so too spiritually god hasn't given us the senses to be able to pick up the angels and the demons but they're here they are around us and as that passage that brendan read to us from ephesians 6 reminds us they permeate the heavens, the atmosphere around us, and that's our true enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. People are not the issue. It's the spiritual influences behind the people. But, uh, so what do we do? Well, we need to, as James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We'll break it up into those three parts. Let's talk about submitting to God first to submit to God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 3 says that we are able to stand our ground against the evil one. We can be victorious. In that passage, take a shield of faith by which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one when you take up that shield. So it's possible that we can submit and resist and be victorious in this. Submitting to God is not a popular idea not just not today, but it hasn't been a popular idea from the very beginning of our creation. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, did not submit to him. Children today don't submit to parents, you know, generally. I was at Woolworths the other day doing some shopping. There was this little kid, nice-looking little kid, but he was horrendous. He was beastly. He was screaming at the top of his lungs. His dad had him in the, the shopping trolley, and this kid was just demanding his way all the time, and the dad just wasn't disciplining him, just wasn't directing him, wasn't stopping him, just fair income. Kids rebelling against parents. And in that particular case, that poor little kid is lacking parental authority to direct him and guide him 
to stage of life we go through. Students rebel against teachers, workers against management, citizens against government, church members against elders, naughty people. We're more driven by sinfulness, aren't we? Self. We want to assert ourselves. We want to look after number one. That's the precondition of sin that we have against us. But the Bible's very full of this instruction. This is an incredibly important principle for us to get and to practice and to evaluate our lives against. Listen to these verses. 1 Peter 2, 3 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted by men. Submit yourself to the government, to the police, to whatever authorities there are. We are to be people who are in submission. What if they are corrupt? And what if they are doing wrong things? Well, you still don't get to rebel. You get to be submissive, but to go through proper channels to bring about justice and righteousness. 1 Corinthians 16, 16, we as Christians are to submit to God's appointed office bearers. That's what Paul says. That uh, For such people like this, submit to them. 1 Corinthians 16. Colossians 3, 8, one of my favourite verses. Wives, submit to your husbands. Everybody say amen. <clears throat> of course, wives have to submit to husbands. 1 Peter 2, 18, slaves have to submit to masters, but... Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. We'd have an attitude of submission towards one another. So it's not about, you know, being big-headed and, and pushing your authority around. It's not you're the master and you get to do your own thing. No, that's not it either. As a follower of the Lord Jesus, we had to have an attitude of submission to those in authority over us and even to have a submissive attitude towards one another, to respect and to care for one another. In fact, in that passage, Ephesians 5.21, submission... Our attitude and heart submitting to one another is an indicator that we are filled with the Spirit. That we don't strut, but that we submit. So submit to God. <clears throat> Why? Well, because he's the Lord. I don't. Can you read that? I hope you can. I apologise for the size. I do this on an iPad and I guesstimate sizes of things. <clears throat> we should submit because he's our creator he's the potter and we're the clay and he made us he shaped us he's the one who has given us or has not given us certain abilities or talents or whatever else that's his sovereign appointment and we need to be submitting to him we should submit to his spiritual laws in this passage in James it goes in the next chapter it actually says that God resists the proud so if we're being proud you're actually a spiritual principle will be God will be resisting you even though you're his child. So it's submit to God and submit to his spiritual laws, his spiritual principles. That same passage says, but he gives grace to the humble. As you submit to him, then God's desire is to want to bless you, to strengthen you, to guide you. But he looks for that humbleness. He looks for that submission. And that's where he will work quite gladly and very willingly. And we should submit to him because he loves us. He knows what's best for us. He made us. He only intends good for us. He's always wanted to give us what is better and then the best, not just something which is nice and good. It's because he loves us. That's why we should submit to God. We should submit in these areas. We should submit to his truth, to his doctrine, to what he teaches us in his word. We should be listeners and learners to what he says. <clears throat> in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says, If you hold to my teaching, you will, now you will be my disciples definition of a disciple is somebody holds to the teaching of Jesus he said it that's why we believe it even if it's unpopular with the world it's what he says what he teaches that we submit to 
that we accept. We submit to his discipline and to his providences in our life um, <clears throat> because he's our heavenly father. He has the right to discipline us and he does discipline us. And Hebrews 12 reminds us that he disciplines us because he loves us. That dad that I spoke about with that little kid who was being beastly, I'm sure the dad loved his kid, but the father was not demonstrating love for that child. He was not helping him. It wasn't a loving thing to let that child have his own selfish way with no directions. If a child grows up like that, he's going to end up in very serious trouble. So the father is not helping the child. But our Heavenly Father helps us and he disciplines us. One of the great examples of that is when things do go wrong in our life is to have this submissive attitude. <clears throat> we tend to push against it. Um, but Eli, it's a sad, bad example. But in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Eli is uh, the, the priest and Samuel is his offsider, his apprentice. And Eli has two sons and he's been a bad father. He hasn't disciplined or corrected his sons. And if he did speak to them about whatever was going wrong, they ignored him and pushed back and there was no consequences to it. And the Lord says in that passage, you know, where it's uh, God calls out to Samuel and speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The Lord says to, to Samuel, I am going to discipline Eli and these bad consequences are going to happen in his life. When Eli heard that the next day, Eli's attitude is the quote, it is the Lord, let him do what seems right to him. It's the Lord. Let him do what seems right to him. It's easy to say these things, but when tragedy hits, when somebody uh, hurts you, harms you, bad things happen in your life, whether it's whatever, of whatever nature, then it's, Lord, you're in control. You're the one who is allowing this. You do what you think is right. It's, I'm trusting you. I'm submitting to you, even though I may not like these circumstances. So we submit to his discipline and we should most certainly submit to his demands, his commands, both the biblical ones that are general for all of us, the commands of scripture to obey, but there are also specific personal commands that God has given you, that he wants you to do. And it's not given to anybody else or for anybody else, it's for you. And God has given that to you either through his word or through whatever way he's communicated it to you. And it's we need to be submitting and making sure we're obeying him. So question, if we're going to submit to God and resist the devil and he's going to flee from us, we're going to walk in victory, we need to be in submission to God. So how's that going for you? Is your submission up to date? Are there any areas you need to talk to God about? Are there any areas where you are not submitting? Well, if there are, then you can expect the Father's discipline of whatever nature or form that will take. One of the ways, it's very common, it's a very gentle form of discipline, but God withdraws the sense of his presence. He becomes absent. He's not absent, but our sense of his nearness, there's something not right. It's not a, maybe it's a parallel, but it's sort of parallel. It's when you get upset with somebody, you don't feel as close to them. There is that sense of distance. That's what when we hurt one another or whatever, or when we sin or disobey God and don't submit to him, it's that similar thing. We feel his distance. It's not that he doesn't love us. It's not that he doesn't care for us. He's not angry at us. He might be disappointed. He may grieve. 
and he will withdraw that sense of his presence only to draw you out of your rebellion or your non-submission or whatever it is because he knows what's best and he's yearning for you to choose that which is right so we are to submit to God then we are to resist the devil to take our stand against the evil one it's a defensive word it's not something that we are on the offense about it's where we resist and in fact implies he is coming against us he is orchestrating and doing things to attack us and to knock us off which is exactly what Peter says if you wake up in the morning and you don't bump into the devil then you're probably going the wrong way hmm. it's not a bad way of looking at it you can expect the evil one continually to be attacking you we are his marked targets if you pray the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis, you get to the end of the Lord's Prayer and it's don't lead us into temptation or hard testing. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. That's what we're praying. It's an active word to resist the devil. It's something that's not, we're not passive, we're not docile. It's something we are to do. There are choices for us to make. And it comes about primarily again, making sure that we are in submission to God. That's what we are to do. And in the process of submitting to God, we'll be resisting the devil. If we are consecrating ourselves to God, then invariably we must be not only in conflict with the devil, but we are opposing him, going the opposite way to what he wants. So comply with God's word, consecrate yourself to the will of God, commit yourself to doing the work of God. As I said uh, conversion places us in the arena there's an active thing for us to participate in we are to resist his arguments and his attractions we are to make decisive choices and actions i went and grabbed this book it's called precious remedies against satan's devices it's a very old book it's a this is a puritan reprint it's written back in the 1600s by a guy called thomas brooks in that little book which I encourage you to have, um, get a copy of and to read, he spent quite a f fair bit of time teaching and outlining for us Satan's devices, Satan's strategies, Satan's arguments and his tricks and plots and plans. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. There are certain patterns of behaviours that he follows. For instance, here's a quick outline. Um, Satan has certain devices to draw us into sin. Different devices for different people. But in this book, he outlines 12 different tricks that Satan has to draw us into sin. Or Satan has devices and means to try and hinder us and keep us from service. And there are eight. Satan's devices to keep us sad and doubting and questioning eight devices satan has devices against the great people of the world and the wealthy against the academic and the wise against the saints and he has devices particularly aimed for the poor and for the ignorant he suggests and he plots and he plans your sins are too great for god to forgive you you ever thought these sorts of things he plants a seed in your mind that you feel you are unworthy you don't deserve god's love or forgiveness that christ is unwilling to save you or he gets you to focus on God's secret decrees, predestination and free will. God's secret decrees rather than upon our duties and responsibilities. He outlines seven characteristics of false teachers. It's a thorough book. It's a good read. It's a heavy read. 
but it'll enlighten you. And Satan doesn't use all of those devices against you all of the time, but he knows you and he knows your weaknesses. He's a master psychologist. He's been studying humans for millennia. He can't read your mind, but he can read body language very effectively. We are to resist the devil. And one of the ways that we can do that is by learning about him and ourselves and how he tricks us in our lives. And also, whoops, to take up God's armour in that passage that um, Brendan read to us, to take up the whole armour of God, that God has provided us with certain tools that as we submit to him and as we obediently take up these things, adopt these attitudes, these perspectives, this mindset, worldview, uh, that helps us in the spiritual battle. Well, what are they? Well, the first one is a belt of truth. Without going into, Paul is obviously going through a Roman centurion, a Roman guard. He's got a belt of truth which ties the skirt together. And the skirt used to be long, so he used to pick the skirt up and tuck it into the belt so then they were more free to move about and to use their swords and weapons and everything else. The belt of truth is to be something that... Uh, and I think it's referring to either truthfulness, that we speak the truth to one another, that we don't lie, we don't mislead, we don't deceive. Uh, it's that sense of, in that way then, we will be unhindered in our spiritual battle. It could also, of course, refer to, because there's lots of debate about what these mean, the belt of truth could be the, the accepting the absolute truth of God's word, that we are committed to the truthfulness of the scriptures, and that as we do that, um, we can fight against the evil one. Built of truth or truthfulness. The breastplate of righteousness is not just the righteousness that Jesus Christ has given us, as Scott spoke to us about at communion, how we are cleansed and forgiven for all of our sin. But it's that other aspect of righteousness, which is our obedience as we make daily choices to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. It's our sanctification, our our choices to become and to do like the Lord Jesus. Romans 6 says, don't present your body to sin for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as alive from the dead and as instruments of righteousness. 1 John explains it very clearly for us. Listen carefully to this. If we say that we don't have any sin, well, we're lying. We're deceived. 1 John 1, 8. But if we confess our sins, verse 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But even after that, if we do sin, well then we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who pleads for us. And then verse 7 of chapter 1 is a wonderful promise when it says um, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. There is sin that you know about, confess it receive his cleansing and forgiveness there is sin that you do that you don't know about you're ignorant of it you're not aware of it well verse 7 says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of that ignorant sin that unaware sin it's us cooperating with him we put on the breastplate of righteousness so when Satan comes and reminds us that you're sinful you're unworthy you've done the wrong thing now you'll be condemned it's a lie you put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm forgiven because of Jesus. Or I grow in confidence and like the Lord Jesus, and it's I know I'm in obedience to him. 
shares of the gospel is that you not only have received the gospel, but that you know the gospel and you can share the gospel with somebody else. It's the shoes of the gospel of the preparation. There's a preparation involved here. You need to know the gospel so that you can share the gospel with somebody else as well as remind it to yourself. Shield of faith, it's all about our faith, our trusting God, that whatever is going on, God is the one who is in control. I often pray this prayer that God would uh, help us to put out the fiery darts of the evil ones, King James, the fiery arrows. The shield was four and a half feet high, about that high. It's about two and a half feet wide, so it would cover you. And then as you linked up with others, it became like a wall. As you stand together with others, you'll be protected against these arrows that are flaming that would hit the target, aiming to burn it out, but you'll be able to extinguish it by faith. It's your faith in God, your trust in God, that he is the one in control. When we do as he prompts, you put those fiery darts out. The evil one is defeated. The helmet of salvation, helmet is obviously on your head. It's to do with not just covering your mind and the way your worldview about it. And the salvation is, well, you've already experienced salvation from the penalty of sin. I think this helmet of salvation is the future salvation which is coming. My hope is in heaven. I struggle in this world, but I remind myself, like Scott did at communion, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. He's coming. And we live in the light of that truth. We remind ourselves of that truth, that this world, when it is a bad, sad place, when things are not going well, when we struggle and we are saddened by life's circumstances, it's good to lift up your mind and to be reminded this world is not our home. This is not it. The helmet of our salvation reminds us of the great future we have and the sword of the Spirit, of course, is the Word of God. And in this passage, it's like what Jesus did against the evil one in the wilderness. It is written. It is written. And it's interesting, the devil never argues with it. That always defeats him. And the word used here is the Greek word rhema. It's the rhema of the Spirit, the Word of God. And rhema simply means it's either a specific word or it's a spoken word. So it's not just thinking scripture, as important as that is, memorizing it. It's actually verbalizing it, quoting it, saying it. And it has a specificity, it's very specific, about something. That's what Jesus did. He quoted the scriptures specifically. Satan said, do this, it is written, and that forbids me from doing that. So it's a specific response to whatever attack it is. So we need to be students of the word. We need to be people who know the word. And the better we know the word, the better we can fight this battle against the evil one. Oh, whoops. That's saying all of those things. These are the six things of the, fruit, uh, the armor of God that we need to commit ourselves to. Truth and integrity, righteousness to the gospel, to trusting God to our future hope and committed to God's word. And finally, because the time is moving on, and he will flee from you. Satan will depart. But he will depart, if I can drive this, it indicates Satan is vulnerable. As powerful as he is, as smart as he is, he is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. There are limitations. He doesn't know your mind, and I don't believe he can read your mind. 
which in my experience explains why sometimes when I am praying or sometimes when I'm thinking about something, a thought will come into my mind which is totally out of context. Where'd that come from? Oh, I'll see, that's a clue for me. Of, oh, that's not me thinking that. Somebody else is planting that in my brain. Um, and that's where you get to choose. Will I give in to that and listen to it, be tempted and... Or will I resist it? <clears throat> and he doesn't know the future, as I said before. There are things that Satan cannot do and things that he does not know. While he can't be bound, I don't think yet, but certainly demons and strong men can. And that's what we need to be praying. Satan is vulnerable and Jesus has defeated him on the cross and ultimately Jesus will remove him totally and throw him into the lake of fire. It means though that we must be vigilant. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it says, and the devil left him, listen, for a more opportune time. The devil left him. So he will flee, but he won't leave permanently. He'll be back. He'll be back to fight the battle again. So he's being strategic. He's having a temporary retreat, a strategic withdrawal or whatever you like, but he will come back. But the good news is, and the great news is, we can be victorious as we submit to God resist the devil he will flee it'll happen today and tomorrow and the day after every day the same submit to god say no to sin and self resist the devil and his influences and you'll be victorious let's pray together heavenly father we want to submit to you to trust you, to obey your laws and to obey your commands. We ask that you might help us to resist, say no to Satan and to sin, to take up those pieces of the armour, to commit ourselves to being truthful, to making righteous choices, to knowing the gospel and exercising faith, which is trusting that you are the God who is in control. Thank you for the bright hope that we have before us and thank you for your word. Help us to read it, to study it, to know it and to use it in this spiritual battle. Lord, we follow you into the arena. Help us to stand firm and to be true to you for your own glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.